If you're able, would you remain standing and in your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read verses 5, 6, and 7 of 1 Peter chapter 5. This is the word of our Lord, 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, and we pray that your spirit would handle it, would yield it today for your glory and for the good of your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We have uh, taken a break from our first John series to consider an emphasis for 2022. Uh, it's uh, January 23rd and feels like 2022 has been going on forever already. It doesn't feel like you're in the beginning of the year, but it's still pretty soon and pretty, pretty soon in the beginning of the year. So it's still good to be talking about a, a vision for 2022. And Lord willing, we'll finish um, introducing that vision today and the vision that I have for us, for all of us, and often what I consider for all of us is uh, something that I've seen in my own heart that would be good for me, so it might, you might even think it's a little selfish in that way, but it's the idea that we could benefit uh, from growing in humility, killing pride in our lives and growing in humility, humbling ourselves before the Lord as a congregation and letting Him exalt us. <laughs> We've seen that humility is incredibly important to God. Uh, And we've seen that life in community, life in unity flows from our humble hearts. That that you can't really have community if humility is not um, there. So as we look forward to 2022, as we look forward to this year, we want to pursue Christian humility so that we may live in unity with one another for the glory of God. Let me remind us with a couple definitions what humility is and what pride is. Start with pride. Pride is an excessive preoccupation with self and one's own importance, achievements, status, possessions, or personal rights and vengeance. That's what pride is. It's it's over-preoccupation with oneself. Humility is not as easy to define as pride is. But humility... It's not saying that you are worse than everybody else. Self-deprecation is not the same as humility. If you're good at something, denying it doesn't make you more humble or humble at all. Humility includes acknowledging the gifts that God has given you and using them in His service, serving others. And humility really is just not thinking about yourself, not worrying about yourself, just thinking of others, uh, C.S. Lewis famously defined humility as not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. 
where the less goes in that sentence makes a, a big difference. But at the end of the day, humility is this. I think we can encapsulate humility in this. Humility is total and ultimate dependence on another. Namely, on God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's really what humility is. Total dependence on God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The one thing we haven't considered yet in this four-part series is how can we grow in humility? We talk about the importance of humility in pride, uh, uh, and to die to pride and to live in humility. We talk about what these things are, but we haven't really talked about the how. And hopefully that's what we're going to do today, talk about the how, the how of humility, how we grow in humility. And even before we do that, I want us to remind us how important humility is to the Lord how much he thinks of humility. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, Isaiah is talking about the greatness of God. And he says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. And this is what God says. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who, is, who has a contrite and humble spirit. So here we have the, the mighty God who created all things, the one who's other than creation, one who lives in holiness, and he says, this is the one who dwells before me, the one who has a humble spirit. He says similar thing in Isaiah 66, verse 2, where he says, that, on this one will I look, on this one I'll pay attention, on this one I'll pour my blessings, on him who is poor and of contrite spirit and who trembles at my word, the humble one. And then as we read this morning... He says that in, in 1 Peter 5, verse 5 and 7, 5 through 7, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Why? For God resists or is hostile toward the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, we humble ourselves so that God can be the one to exalt us. As the year goes on, Lord willing, once a month we're going to visit a humility passage to keep that theme ahead of uh, in front of us we're going to consider more carefully first peter 5 at that point so the first thing we need to figure out do is that we need to value humility in our own lives not just in thought but in practice now it is possible to admire humility while remaining proud it is possible to think well of humility and yet remain proud. It is also possible to deceive ourselves into thinking that we are making progress against pride while not taking any steps toward humility. So valuing humility involves purposeful application of truth. Value humility involves actually practicing humility in our lives. So the remainder of the sermon, and I I do have more pages than the usual, just to let you know ahead of time. But I, I did bank a lot of minutes doing the choir practices. We ended early every single time that the, while the choir was practicing. So I'm going to cash those minutes today. <laughs> I, I would try not to do that. Uh, the clock is a tyrant, at least to me, and I would try to abide by its rule. But as we think about the how-to, okay, let me first start by talking about how we begin the day. And then also suggestions how we end the day, and then some miscellaneous things to go 
from that point. But as, as we do desire to practice humility, and by the way, this, the, all this is going to be posted on our website, olympiabp.net, by the end of the afternoon. So don't feel like you have to just write, 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 and pay attention. Uh, well, I want you to pay attention. But I don't want you to get frustrated. You can't write everything that I'm saying right away, okay? And I'll put my notes in, it, in, 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 in all of it so you don't have to really worry about uh, writing anything down. But as we begin our days, as we, we try to grow in humility, as each day begins, reflect on the work and the wonder of the cross. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. To grow in humility, begin each day by reflecting on the wonder of the cross. John Owen, the great Puritan pastor, said, Fill your affections with the cross of Christ, that there may be no room for sin. So fill yourself with the cross of Christ, so that sin just is kicked out of your heart. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great independent preacher of the 20th century in London, said, There is one, there's only one thing I know of that... Let me start again. There is only one thing I know of that crushes me to the ground and humiliates me to the dust, and that is to look at the Son of God and especially contemplate the cross. And as we sang a few weeks ago, when I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but laws and pour contempt on what? All my pride, said Isaac Watts. So begin each day contemplating the wonder of the cross. Also, begin your day acknowledging your dependence and need for God. Sin, including pride, is active. Sin doesn't get tired. Sin doesn't sleep. So when we wake up in the morning, sin is right there, fully awake, ready to attack. So rather than be attacked by sin, we must choose to go on the offensive against sin. So let's declare war on pride by speaking the truth of our need for God as soon as we get up in the morning. Begin your, our, your day by expressing gratitude to God. Uh, the pastor said, Thankfulness is a soil in which pride does not easily grow. Thankfulness points us to things outside of ourselves. It helps us not to be focused on ourselves. So we recognize that whatever grace we receive from God is so much more than we are worthy of, and we're thankful because of that. Practice every morning, practice spiritual disciplines. Read the Bible, large portions of the Bible. For some reason, it has become trendy to put down reading the Bible through in a year. Somehow, that's not a good thing anymore for the Church of. Jesus Christ, but we need the Bible and we need lots of it. It takes 15, 20 minutes a day to read four chapters. And if you do that every day, you get to the Bible in a year. There's no magic about reading the Bible in a year. It's not like somehow all of a sudden at the end, the angels are going to open the clouds and you're going to have this beatific vision. But we need the Bible and we need all of it and we need lots of it. So... If we want to grow in humility, we need to practice spiritual disciplines that includes reading the Bible. Think about what you read. 
Philippians 4.8 tells us that we're to meditate on what is good, on what is lovely, on what's a good report, on what's just. And all these things are true of the Bible. We meditate on these things. Pray for yourselves, for others, for anything. Pray. Prayer takes the focus off of us and acknowledges our dependence on God. And that encourages humility. Talk about God and Christ to others as you go about your day. Ideally, a Christian doesn't go one day without talking about God to others. It doesn't mean that you have to be witnessing to everybody every day, but if you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be talking about God to others every opportunity that it comes there. And as you, as you go through your day, or worship God through Christ in the morning and throughout your day. Uh, intentionally and purposefully worship God. It might sound weird. You're singing by yourself. But I'm sure you did weirder things in your life. So worship God, sing, pray, recognize Him. Worship reminds us that God is God and we are not. And pride does the opposite. Pride does not acknowledge that God is God and makes us God. And we forget to practice worship. Another suggestion is to grow in humility, seize your your commute or any other mindless time you have. Now, this might not apply to all of you because you may not have a commute, but you might have other times like folding laundry, ironing, mowing the lawn, and so on that you can seize for the glory of God. These times could be used for prayer, scripture memorization, listening to podcasts. You've heard the name William Wilberforce? He was a 19th century statesman in England. Uh, well, late, yeah, late 17th, early 19th, late 18th, early 19th century Christian statement, and he lived a mile from Parliament in in in, in London, in Westminster, and he used that mile. He walked every day to Parliament, and he used that mile every day to memorize Psalm 119. So you take, that's exactly the time it would take for him to walk. It was to recite Psalm 119. And he would recite aloud as he walked. And so people would look at him, what is he doing? He would be reciting Psalm 119. And he would, so on one way he would recite. On the way back he would think about a particular portion of the psalm. That's one strategy he, 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 he developed it to grow in humility. For... Many of us, our commute is wasted every day by our allowing ourselves to get into mental ruts that are not helpful. And as you begin your day, and do it throughout the day as well, cast your cares upon the Lord. It, this is an active thing. You're, you're actively casting your cares upon the Lord. That's what our passage that we read this morning says. And the, uh, it, it sounds good when it says... Um, Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So the care and care there uh, sound good. But the first care should be anxieties. That's a different word. Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord, for he cares for you. God wants you to dump all your anxieties upon him. And actually, that's how we humble ourselves before him, according to 1 Peter 5. He wants us to, put that, to, that, to, to give him all that. When we humble ourselves by each morning by casting all our cares on the Lord, we will start our day free of care. Because, well, the Lord has them. We don't have them anymore. The humble are genuinely carefree. Where there is worry, 
where there is anxiety, pride is the root of it. When we experience anxiety, the root issue is that we are trying to be self-sufficient. We are acting independent from God when we are carrying anxieties. So these are suggestions for the beginning of the day. Let me give you some suggestions for the end of the day, because the day goes on and on. Sometimes it just goes on and on and on and on, it feels like some days. And we are, we are familiar with the importance of practicing spiritual disciplines in the morning, but most of us are not aware of any specific biblical instruction about how to conclude each day. In Psalm 92, verses 1 and 2 is, is, is helpful in that, where it says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. And so Psalm 92 talks about the, the cycle of the, the believer's day is to be, begin with the Lord and end with the Lord. So as your day approaches an end, review your day and carefully assign all glory for the grace you have experienced on that day. And you have, if you're believing in Jesus Christ, a day doesn't go by where you don't experience the grace of God. So acknowledge those times and thank the Lord for them. Throughout each day, we experience saving grace, sanctifying grace, sustaining grace, serving grace, grace that should amaze us. And we must ascribe all the glory for that to the Lord. Thomas Watson, the uh, well-known Presbyterian pastor of the 17th century, said, When we have done anything praiseworthy, we must hide ourselves under the veil of humility and transfer the glory of all we have done to God. Now, we don't have to wait to the end of the day to do that, right? As, as soon as we experience the grace of God, we can attribute the glory to Him. But it's good to not finish the day without doing that. Also, accept the gift of sleep. At the end of the day, accept the gift, gift of sleep from God and acknowledge His purpose for sleep. And you say, how's, how's that going to build up humility? How's that a sign of humility? Well, God made every one of us to need to sleep. That's, that's a fact, right? And some of it's being proven right now. Uh, <laughs> a Christian informed and inspired by Scripture views the cessation of work each day, the limitation that God places upon each day, and the laying down to sleep each night as altogether a gift from God. Sleep is a gift so graciously provided in His lavish generosity to us. And for us to, receive, to, to refuse to receive that gift is a sign of pride. So those who neglect this gift will inevitably suffer consequences. We often neglect the gift of sleep by trying to accomplish more things than what God designed for us to accomplish. That's not efficiency. That's pride. Because that's not what God designed for us to accomplish. We often neglect the gift of sleep by mindlessly entertaining ourselves. That's another thing that's rooted in pride. No. Even you know, on, a, on, a, on the age of streaming, you know, back in the day where, you know, remember the day where if you want to watch something, it had to be on a time that was shown on TV? And then when the commercial would come on, everybody would run. And then at the end, the commercials come to the end, somebody would yell, it's, it's starting again! And everybody would jump over the couch to make sure they were back to watch. 
Back then, perhaps there was some justification, but in the age of streaming where you can just pick up tomorrow, for us, and, and I'm saying that from a perspective of needing to repent from that, for us to stay late watching something just because we wanted to finish it is really a sign of pride that we're not acknowledging that we need the sleep that God has given us or, or playing video games or whatever it is, entertainment that is causing thus uh, that. So we accept um, the gift of sleep. We often neglect the gift of sleep by worrying or being anxious. I know that nobody in this room has ever done that, but I've heard of people who lay in bed at night wondering about what's going to next day is going to bring and about the situation, how we're going to solve that, and are the kids going to get home safely, and whatever it is. But anxiety is the fear that God is going to get tomorrow wrong. That's what we look at anxiety. We're afraid that God is going to get tomorrow wrong, and that by staying up, we're going to get it right. Anxiety is believing that by worrying about something, that something is going to take care of itself. And this is a prideful attitude to think that God is going to get tomorrow wrong. So we accept the, the, the gracious gift from God and, and we live in the presence of him, knowing that we need that. Now, what are other ways to help us cultivate humility? Study the attributes of God. Know who God is. Know that we have a great, big, huge God, especially he's uncommunicable, the ones that he doesn't share with us. Matthew Henry, the commentator, says, The greatest and best man is in the world must say, By the grace of God, I am what I am. But God says, Absolutely, I am that I am. Uh, R.C. Sproul, I think you all know who R.C. Sproul was. He says this, he says, The grand difference between a human being and a supreme being is precisely this. Apart from God, I cannot exist. Apart from me, God does exist. God does not need me in order to, for him to be. I do need God in order for me to be. This is the difference between what we call self-existent being and dependent being. We are dependent. We are fragile. We cannot live without air, without water, without food. No human being has the power of being within himself. Life is lived between two hospitals. See the picture there? You're born in the hospital. That's what Sproul actually thought. You're born in the hospital. You die in the hospital. We need a support system from birth to death to sustain life. We are like flowers that bloom and then wither and then fade. This is how we differ from God. God does not wither. God does not fade. God is not fragile. And we think about that, the big God that we have. That's going to humble us. The more we are aware of this distance between us and God, the more we experience and express humility. That's what happened to the psalmist in Psalm 139. When he considers the greatness of God, he, he finishes by saying, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain. So, when growing humility, grab a book like Knowing God by J.I. Packer and read it. Grab John's, John Calvin's Institute of the Christian Religion. Read it. Grab Thomas Watson's Body of Divinity and read it. And get to know the God who is your God. But not only study God, study the doctrines of grace, the way that God saves. A pastor said, God intentionally designed salvation so that no man can boast of it. 
He didn't merely arrange it so that boasting would be discouraged or kept to a minimum. He planned it so that boasting would be absolutely excluded. Election does precisely that. Consider how God has saved his people. And humility will be built up. Read 1 Corinthians 1 when God talks about boasting, starting in verse 26 to the end, or actually 18 to the end. The foolishness of the message preached save not the mighty, not the brightest, not the most powerful, but in some ways the scum of the earth. Who knows who that is? That's us. But he finished by saying, God did that way so that he who glories can glory in the Lord. Study God, study salvation, study sin. Study the doctrine of sin. Again, Joe Owen says, There are two things that are suited to humble the souls of man. A due consideration of God and then of ourselves. Of God, His greatness, glory, holiness, power, majesty, and authority. Of ourselves in our mean, abject, and sinful condition. So study who you are apart from Christ and study who you are in Christ. And then identify the presence of grace in other people's lives. Identify the evidences of grace in other people's lives. This means finding the positive work of God in other people's lives. Ever read 1 Corinthians? I hope so. You read 1 Corinthians and you come to the end of it and you say, Boy, I, that, that church is messed up. As a matter of fact, you get that conclusion from almost every letter of the New Testament. That church is messed up. But 1 Corinthians was especially, Corinthians, the church in Corinth was especially messed up. Right? You had a guy sleeping with his um, stepmother. You had people getting drunk in the Lord's Supper. You had people suing each other in court. You had all these things. And yet, Paul was able to identify real things that God was doing in them. And he says this to them in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 through 8. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Jesus Christ. He was able to see the evidences of grace, even in the life of the Corinthians. Only those who are humble can consistently identify the evidences of grace in others who need adjustment. And you guess who needs adjustment? All of us need that. It is something that the proud and the self-righteous are incapable of doing. The proud and self-righteous cannot see any evidence of grace in other people's lives. So how do we grow in our ability to identify evidences of grace in other people's lives? Well, be, be intimately familiar with the lists of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and following. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And look for those in people's lives. Make a practice of observing how the Spirit manifests these traits in the lives that you see around you. Also, familiarize yourself with the different lists in the New Testament of gifts and, and that the Spirit is given. You can look at uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, and look for them. These are not exhaustive lists, but gives a good way to start looking for evidences of grace in people's lives. And when we become familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, the sphere of the gifts of the Spirit, and learn to recognize their manifestations, suddenly you will be aware that God is at work everywhere. Um, what's the name of the, uh, the new, newish uh, Ryan Reynolds? Is that his name? That is helpful, isn't it? <laughs> the, where he's the guy in the blue shirt. Free guy? Is that the name of the guy? What will happen when you put the... 
man, you guys need to be more cultured here now. Uh, <laughs> it's not really a, a cultured movie. But he, it's a movie that he is, goes about life without knowing anything he, and so on. And then all of a sudden he puts a glass, a pair of special glasses on, and then he sees things as they are. That's what this does. Equipping ourselves to be able to see the evidence of grace in people's lives by looking at what the Bible says is the evidence of grace is like putting those glasses. And all of a sudden when we do that, we see grace of God everywhere in people's lives. And if we're going to go in humility, we need to do that so we can see the grace of, of God in people's lives. The call of God in the lives of believers means that God has been at work in each, each one of us. If you believe in Jesus Christ, God is at work of you, so there is evidence of grace that can be seen in there in them. And we do that not just in general, but we do it in our families as well. In interacting with our spouse, we are to find evidences of grace in their lives. We, we need to train ourselves to that. In interacting with our children, we need to find evidences of grace in their lives. If we are not faithful to encourage our children we can be sure that we will eventually exasperate them. If we're not faithful in acknowledging the work of God in their lives, we're going to drive them away. And then we need to find evidences of grace in our church. Again, the commentator in 1 Corinthians said, Paul looks at the Corinthian church as it is in Christ Jesus before he looks at anything else that is true of the church. That disciplined statement of faith is rarely made in local churches. The words are examined and lamented, but often there is no vision of what God has already done in Christ. So let me ask you this. Are we actively calling attention to the evidences of God's gracious work in the lives of our brothers and sisters in the church? What comes first to our minds? The words or the grace of God? I have to I'm a work guy, which tells me that I'm a very prideful Guy, and I need to work on finding the grace, and that's something that all of us need to work of that. And a variation of finding evidences of grace is using our words to encourage others. Do you have any idea what the average person, how many words the average person speaks in a day? 25,000 words. That's the equivalent of a 100-page book. That's how the average person works. So you're going to have people that speak less than that. You're going to have people that speak more than that. But the average 25,000 words a day is like reading a 100-page book every single day. A lot of language flows out of our mouths every day, and that language is having an impact on those around us. So how many of those words reflect pride rather than gospel-motivated humility displayed in encouragement to one another? Words are amazingly powerful, aren't they? You know, you've heard the, the saying, sticks and, tones may break, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words won't hurt me. That's a lie. Sticks and stones, stones will break my bones and the bones will get healed, but words will resonate in my head, my mind, in my ears, for my heart, for a long time. And God designed words primarily to build others up. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. It takes humility for us to be purposefully encouraging with our words. 
because we have to think of others in order to do that. And when we examine our words, we discover our heart. We say what we mean. Period. You've heard somebody say, oh, I didn't mean what I said, I was just angry. That's not true. Anger, bitterness, and so on have the same impact on our hearts as alcohol or drugs do. It doesn't cause anything, it just brings the guard down. Sinclair Ferguson says, Our use of the tongue is the hinge on which the door into our souls swings open in order to reveal our spirit. So we, we can't see people's hearts, but we can hear them. And that's the door into which we can see the heart. He continues, In fact, our words are like so many media people rushing to fill their reports on the condition of our soul. So where there is an absence of that of fine words... There is also normally the presence of pride and self-righteousness because the proud is too preoccupied with themselves and think too highly of themselves to care about building others up. So a humble heart will use an increasing percentage of those 25,000 words each day for soul-edifying, life-transforming, God-glorifying words of encouragement. And one last one, and this is the scariest one, and I almost don't want to say it, but if we want to grow in humility, maybe I shouldn't say it. If we want to grow in humility, we need to invite and pursue correction. I don't like it. I don't like critiques. I don't like criticism. How dare anyone say anything wrong about me? But that's a prideful attitude. The pursuit of humility cannot be solitary because pride not only destroys, but pride also deceives. Others may clearly see the pride in our hearts that we are not able or willing to recognize. Paul Tripp says, My self-perception is is as accurate as a carnival mirror. Have you ever been to a a house of mirrors where you look and one of your short and fat and and then the next one you realize that the last one was the true one and this one is the false one or whatever you know this, this is how the house of mirrors work so is that he says that that's how our self perception is like a, a carnival mirror if and if i am going to see trip says myself clearly i need to hold the mirror of god's word in front of me and in hebrews 3 that word says that we need other people to help us see our sin, because sin is deceitful in our heart. Uh, the war on, on pride doesn't end till we see our Savior face to face. Therefore, we always will need help. Again, John Owen. There's no duty we perform for God that sin does not oppose. And the more spiritually, the more spirituality or holiness there is in what we do, the greater is its enmity to it. Thus, those who seek the most for God experience the strongest oppositions. Does this make sense? The more we pursue God, the more we're going to face opposition. We need others to help us see that. And by God's grace, they can impart clarity to help protect us from the hardening effects of sin. 
the people around us are a gift from God in our battle against pride. And yet, most of us are, have pride in our hearts to the point that we really don't like when somebody tries to help us to see the pride that's there. So life in community, life in unity flows out of, a hum- of humble hearts. Both a relationship with God and a relationship with one another is based on humble hearts. As we look forward to this new year, may we pursue Christian humility so that we may live in unity with one another for the glory of God, that we might die to pride and live in humility. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you are God who speaks to us and often through a very inadequate speaker. Father, we pray that the truths that were uttered today would be find fertile ground in all of our hearts and that your spirit will close those who cause those seeds to grow, that we might die to sin, to pride, and live in humility. We ask in the name of the ultimate humble one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to the death of the cross on our behalf. We all say, Amen.